0: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and this week I'm talking to Craig LaHoullier, author of the new book Epic Tomatoes, How to Grow and Select the best varieties of all time. Welcome back, Craig.
2: Thank you so much, Daryl. It is always a joy to be here, and happy spring.
1: Oh, I'm so happy that it is spring, finally. It's been such a terribly long winter. Now, the last time you were here, we only had time to briefly touch on the Dwarf Tomato Project, but it's such an exciting project that we had to have you back again to talk about it. So that's what we're going to do. I, I'm particularly excited about it because I don't have the garden space anymore. My garden's all shaded, and so I'm draw- growing almost everything in containers. And the dwarf tomatoes are perfect for that. So where did the idea from the project come from?
2: So it's it's kind of a three-piece um, origin, the first of which being uh, my wife and I had been selling tomato and pepper and eggplant seedlings in the Raleigh area, I think this is our 17th year. And one of my most frequent questions was, um, you know, we, the sun in our yard hits our patio or our deck or our driveway. We love the Cherokee purples and the sun goals and the brandy wines, but we can't deal with those 8- or 10-foot vines, so do you have anything? So that was trigger number one. Uh, the second was a little online discussion and meeting my friend and my co-lead of the project, Katrina News small who lives in Australia and she she resonated with this idea because she liked to do crosses and then we happened upon the idea if we do a project together we could take advantage of the fact that while we're eating while they're eating their Christmas dinner we're deep into gardening and vice versa so by trading seeds and getting volunteers in different hemispheres we could have the time of a development project to create new non-hybrid, seed-savable-type tomatoes. And then the third piece was when I was reading a seed catalog that I had purchased from the Isbell Seed Company, 1915, Mm -hmm. where they described a variety called New Big Dwarf, which I actually managed to find in the USDA seed collection and get some, and I was very pleased to find that you could get eight to 12 or larger delicious tomatoes on these nice little tidy three-foot plants. And they actually described what they did in the seed catalog. They, they took one of the best-known dwarfs at the time, dwarf champion, and crossed it with the largest tomato at the time, Ponderosa, and just selected until they got the, the combination of short dwarf plant with large fruit. So we just we embarked on it. And in 2005, by assembling a group of volunteers, Katrina did some crosses, and uh we just kind of got on the move so that that's really how it started just that idea to get and you know we want more people to garden these days and a lot of in a lot of yards the only place the sun really hits well is going to be a deck or a driveway or a patio so really we feel like with this project we've met the needs of gardeners who are space constrained constrained and maybe even have some physical constraints about pounding stakes into the ground and anything that we can do, as you know, Daryl, that helps more people grow their own food these days is just going to be a benefit in many, many ways.
1: Sure. Um, I, I think more people need to grow their own food if, for nothing else but to you know, get our food back out of the hands of big corporations. Not that I have anything particularly against big corporations, but it's really scaring me how, how few seed companies there are out there. Um, and how few food producers there are. Uh, well, you know,
2: it's a great point because as, as I've been going around and talking to lots of gardeners over the last three months, we've been talking about flavors and colors and diversity. And, and this idea keeps popping into my mind that people are almost programmed what and how to eat and what to purchase by what shows up in the grocery store. And if all we're faced with are, you know, round red tomatoes and green peppers, it's that's really going to be what people think the best of what we have is. And, and, and as anyone who does any kind of starting their own gardens from seed, members of the Seed Savers Exchange, a grocery store doesn't even hit a fraction of a fraction of a percent of the wonderful diversity of, of growable foods that we can eat. So. You know, those of us who have discovered this, it's almost like this wonderful secret we've been into. Why shouldn't everybody be part of that club and be able to, you know, really switch around what's on their plates into really interesting and delicious things, not just, you know, that which can be sprayed and harvested by machines and sitting in a train car and gassed, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and Craig, I don't know if all of our listeners know, but you were one of the people way back – 20 years ago, that started spreading the word about heirloom tomatoes and getting these tomatoes into the hands of people. So now people know what a Cherokee tomato looks like because of you. Well, uh, that's pretty I would cool. Say, yeah,
2: I, I would say so. I joined the Seed Savers in '86, and I, I remember getting my first request letter from my tomato friend Carolyn Mayo in, in 1989. And so the two of us really kind of blazed a trail. And in terms of really learning as much as we could and spreading the word on heirloom tomatoes. And then people like Calvin Waite and Bill Minky and others came in and helped. And, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be tomatoes. There, there are people that love beans, people that love lettuce, people that love artichokes. And they're the ones who are going to grow everything they can get their hands on and make people aware. And if we don't grow these diverse things, they won't exist anymore. We, we have to grow them, share them, save them, and make sure that, you know, we, we continue to make the funnel for our food wider going forward instead of narrower in terms of varieties.
1: And I'm very happy to help do that and help spread the word as you are. And mm-hmm. some of those, you mentioned Carolyn Mayo, and I don't know that a lot of people know her, about her either, but she did the probably the first heirloom, book on heirloom tomatoes, mm-hmm. um, at least the only one, that the first one i had ever heard of. And she she listed a hundred tomatoes. And back when the book was published, a hundred different tomatoes was practically unheard of. Most people had, didn't know that there was anything. Well, they might have seen a yellow tomato and a red tomato, but the diversity wasn't known. Um, and things like fuzzy tomatoes and white tomatoes yep. Yep. and brown tomatoes <laughs> just completely unknown. Um, you mentioned Seed Savers Exchange, and I'm going to post a picture later on uh, about a picture of my Seed Savers Exchange yearbook for this year. Mm-hmm. This sucker is huge. I've been watching yep. it grow and grow and yeah. grow, and now it's what about an inch thick? I think.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like a phone book. Only instead of calling lots of people, you can order lots of different vegetables and fruits. <laughs> uh, it's wonderful.
1: <laughs> I, I just love it. I, I love. You know, and it's not just the that you can get something that you've never grown before, but you get to know other people too, and that's know people. Yeah, that's a that's a really fun thing for me, and find out what people are growing and and a little bit about their lives. And now, when we talk about um, the dwarf tomatoes, I had no idea that new big dwarf went back that year. What what year did you say it was? It
2: was about nineteen fifteen, and. The same year that Isbell created New Big Dwarf, Burpee did a very similar thing, uh, and they called it Dwarf Giant, and you'd see that where seed companies uh, were doing a lot of, I don't think co-developments, but they were getting ideas off of each other, and so the explosion of tomato varieties really, uh, for American seed companies, started around 1870, and then for non-hybrid varieties continued right up until about 1949 when Burpee got the, the genius idea of selling hybrid seed, which was big boy. That really changed, really, the whole dynamic about seed development. And then seed companies from that point on really put their most of their energies into creating hybrids. So the work that Tom Wagner did to create Green Zebra, which is not a hybrid, the work that our Dwarf Tomato Project is doing is almost a throwback And we're doing tomato development the way that it was done in America between 1870 and 1940. So it's really a nice piece of, it's a retro project in a way, of putting savable varieties out in the hands of the public that are stable, rather than, you know, creating a hybrid, getting that out. But then if they want those seeds again, they'd have to come back to the source. Because, of course, you know, we know that saving seeds from hybrids, you'll get tomatoes, but you won't get... The tomato that looks like what you planted. You'll get mom, dad, and little kids in between.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure most people remember the yeah. learning about Gregor Mendel and the PC yes. when they were kids in school. Yeah. Um, tell people briefly, um, what's the difference between the hybrid and open-pollinated, and what's an heirloom?
2: Sure. Well, good. Let's do some terms. So uh, if, if you were to go out and take the pollen-producing parts of a flower off and expose just the female part and then go to a different variety and take some pollen and then apply it to the female part and a tomato grows, the seeds in that tomato will be a hybrid between mom and dad essentially, meaning they'll show the dominant traits of each. Um, So Big Big Boy, Sun Gold, those varieties are all seed produced from crossing the pollen of one variety and they're kept secret onto the um, style of another variety and when you save them, you you do Mendel genetics. You segregate into the F2, which you have a lot of diversity and beyond. Open pollinated all start with a cross or a hybrid, but then work is done over eight or ten generations where you keep selecting what you're going for. And each year you do it, you focus more and more, and the plants become more and more what you expect. So you're, you're at 99% greater of getting the tomato you're after at the eighth to ninth to tenth generation. And so those are when you're all of us who are growing heirlooms are growing varieties that are stable. They'll reproduce themselves from saved seed, but they probably had their origin maybe 50, 100, 150 years ago in some little experiment in the garden that the bees did between two varieties. That is how we got all of our different colors and sizes are those crosses allowed some of the recessive genes to show up. Um so an heirloom I like to categorize as a non-hybrid, something reproducible from saved seed that predates 1949, which is the year that Burpee came out with hybrid and changed the focus of seed companies and tomato development more towards hybrids. Whereas anything like a green zebra or stable dwarf varieties, black cherry, um, Bradgates, Bradgates, boar series like Berkeley tie-dyes, I I don't call them heirlooms yet. I call them just simply open-pollinated. Seeds can be saved. And if they survive um, the court of public opinion for the next 50 years or so, if if our great-grandchildren are growing some of the dwarfs, yeah, I guess we can call them heirlooms then, because they will have been so valued that they've been handed down and treasured and are grown on and on and on into the future.
1: I like the idea of them of heirlooms being treasures, just like family heirlooms that you might have yeah. in, in your house. Now, when yeah. we come back, we're going to be talking about some very specific dwarf tomatoes. And, I'm, Craig, I'm going to ask you about how many there are and all their colors. And I think our listeners sure. are going to want to grab a pencil and a piece of paper and be able to write really, really fast. <laughs> I'll <laughs> when... talk
2: really, really slow, too.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, some of this, of course, is in your book. But not all of that you've got there. Or new dwarf tomatoes coming out every year and I'm just delighted to talk about them and find out what's coming coming back. So we're going to take a little break but I want to remind you that you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm talking to Craig LaHouier for who's talking about the Dwarf Tomato Project and we'll be right back after this.
0: This is Tracy Pearson with Prissy Tomboy. Listen to the Prissy Tomboy radio show every Tuesday at 5pm Eastern Time as I interview interview special guests that will inspire adventure and fitness for females could an app be the answer to a better garden absolutely it's the new free app homegrown with bonnie plants note track and photograph your garden's progress personalize your weather and reminders get variety info grow guides hands-free dictation and more the Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app, the sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pulis, and my guest today is Craig Lahoulier author of Epic Tomatoes, How to Select and Grow the Best Varieties of All Time. And today we're talking about the Dwarf Tomato Project. But before we get into specific varieties, Craig, tell me the difference between a dwarf and a determinate, because a lot of people know the difference between a determinate and an indeterminate, but they might not be familiar with the term dwarf.
2: Sure. Well, so... Dwarf tomatoes actually have been around since a single variety um, called Delay, D-E, capital L-A-Y-E, that showed up in the grounds of a castle in France in the 1850s. And it is apparently a mutation that led to this tomato that had a very thick central stem, very crinkly, dark green foliage. The plant only grew three feet tall that behaved like an indeterminate tomato, and that it bore fruit all year. So that was the progenitor of really the only three or four known varieties that were ever available in the country in seed catalogs, late 1800s, early 1900s. And those were dwarf champion, dwarf, golden dwarf champion, dwarf stone, and then new big dwarf came along. What distinguishes them? Determinants, which actually never even appeared in history until the 1920s with Variety Cooper Special, are called self-topping. They, as young seedlings, look exactly like indeterminants. Their foliage is the same. They grow just as fast. But then at about three feet tall or four feet tall, the branches end in clusters of flowers, and they set a load of fruit. Anybody who's grown Taxi or Roma is probably the best known of the the Roma types. You can go out and pick maybe 20 or 30 pounds of fruit that all ripen at once in a picking, but then that's it. The plant is shot. Because they have such a high ratio of fruit to foliage, the flavor development potential of determinants does not seem to be as great as indeterminants. And this is a discussion I had with Rob Johnson of Johnny Selected Seeds years ago. We, we threw this theory out there. You just don't have enough photosynthesis. You've got so many tomatoes. not enough enough leaf surface to allow for the development of really good flavors. So dwarfs, which look really different right from the get-go, they're these chunky little plants that come up at half the height of all of your other plants, and I consider them very slowly growing indeterminates in that, let's say at the end of your season your Cherokee Purple is 8 feet tall, your dwarf will be 4 feet tall, but they fruit slowly and consistently throughout the season until frost. So they always have a very high ratio of foliage to fruit. And we have found in our project that you can actually get the flavors of the dwarf varieties. If you're using really delicious heirlooms as breeding partners, the dwarfs have an equal excellence of flavor potential to indeterminates. So this was essentially when we found this out, we said pretty much mission accomplished. We, we've kind of set out we what we what we wanted to do, which was create a set of non hybrid varieties that people could grow in five gallon containers, support with what I call the useless tomato cages, the, <laughs> the the metal three or four foot cones that if you stick them on an indeterminate, you know the the plant will be above those cages in about two months, whereas you can use those and they will support a dwarf perfectly for the entire season. And, they, and we've created the diversity of colors and flavors. So, it, the Husky series of hybrids that came out a few years ago are actually dwarf tomatoes that are being sold as hybrids. And I'm not sure they knew quite how to market them, and they didn't create. They only created three or four of them, and they didn't create a lot of different colors. And what we did was we essentially created tomatoes like the Husky series, but then we worked to make them non-hybrid in. Really increased the colors and the shapes and the sizes.
1: So I've grown um, dwarf jade beauty and a couple and Perth pride. Tell me yeah. what else is out there. What do you like? Okay. How many, well, so, first off, how many do you have? How many are there? We
2: now? sure. Well, we now have thirty-six varieties released. So we, we embarked on the project. Essentially, the conception was two thousand five. Patrina started doing her crosses in 2006, and here we are in 2015, nine years later. We have 36 varieties in a selection of small seed catalogs, and we intentionally did this very, very quietly because another aspect, and this is almost, I don't know if it's devious of me, but I like the idea of seeing the court of public opinion at work. So if you create some varieties and essentially give them away, don't make a big deal about it, but you know that they're pretty good. Are, how and at what rate and at what mechanism are they? is the word going to spread? And watching it kind of slowly drift out there, watching the varieties start to get listed in the Seed Savers Exchange and getting some questions from different seed companies has been fascinating. So, you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not about commercialism, I'm not about making money at the things i do i'm about learning and sharing knowledge and talking to other gardeners and just doing fun things so in a way i wanted the project to reflect to reflect my own personal approach and the 300 or so volunteers we've had all over the world have had such great fun with this they you know they grow things and we just we're doing mendelian genetics we we're discovering what happens when you cross different colors and what different colors pop out you know in subsequent generations and uh, it's just good fun so we do have 36 out and amongst those 36 we have green when ripe um, yellow purple white uh, yellow with red swirls orange um, purple we now have chocolate colored like cherokee chocolate with green stripes and and reds and purple with green stripes and purple hearts so we've And we even have this really strange one that is green and orange. It 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 is an orange tomato that has the same type of gene that that the black tomatoes have. So it's it's retained chlorophyll and is the most unusual unusual colored thing you've ever seen. It's almost a mustard color. Um, So those are the color range and the the size range is from two to three ounces up to will produce one pound or one and a half pound fruit. That is something to behold when you see a three foot plant cranking out
1: one-pound tomatoes. Um, I feel sorry for it, like when my hen lays a (laughs) double-yoked (laughs) egg. Well, Daryl, I I always thought
2: the ultimate in cruelty would be crossing Mortgage Lifter with Red Robin (laughs) And (laughs) and seeing if you could... Produce produce a two pound (laughs) tomato on a six inch tall plant in your window box, but you know
1: (laughs) that 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 is cruel. That would be cruel. For those of you You that don't know it, Red Robin is a wonderful little tomato that you can even grow under lights pretty well, and I've, I've harvested at Christmas time. They're not. At Christmas time, they're not any better than store-bought, I have to say, But if they've been grown under lights. But they are perfect if you have a little tiny window box. And I've even grown them in six-inch pots, which is pretty much impossible for any other tomato that I've tried.
2: Now, Red Robin, I would classify actually as a super dwarf. It takes takes the concept of the dwarf down to the nth degree. And there are people at Tomatoville who are playing around with Doing different crosses to the super dwarfs to see if they can get fruit size up, color, and and flavor increase. So um, there would be if you ever wanted, you know, people on to talk about that. I can point you to some some of the people that are involved with that fun little. Yeah. Um, I've got enough on my plate, so I haven't followed it. Um, so as far as, there's two other interesting attributes, uh, you know, flavor people are interested in, and earliness people are interested in because you know we. we, we in Raleigh, you're in Atlanta, the, the season can be quite long, and I can get everything to ripen. In fact, days to maturity are almost meaningless to me because we have such hot, searing summers that pretty much everything comes in. But we've actually had some varieties that were developed primarily by people living in Alaska. And so wow. Yukon, Qu- Yukon Quest, which is a lovely 8-ounce delicious pink tomato, Iditarod Red, which is... A three, two to three ounce round red that would be the perfect tomato to skewer and put on your grill. Uh, dwarf Arctic Rose, which is another really nice six to eight ounce pink, and uh, Sleeping Lady, which is the color of Cherokee Chocolate. <coughs> excuse me, it's about <coughs> excuse me, it's about four to six ounces. Really nice flavor, produces like crazy, and it's quite early and. The two new heart-shaped ones, Dwarf Golden Heart and Dwarf Pink Passion, very vigorous, very productive, very early. So we've done a good job now. And it it all depends on the tomatoes that you start with. And um, if you use an indeterminate that's a little bit earlier, you get dwarfs that are a little bit earlier. If you start with an indeterminate with a really great flavor, you can find dwarfs that have just... Remarkable flavor, and you mentioned Jay Beauty. The best of the dwarfs have come out of a cross using Green Giant. And Green Giant is a big green heirloom Mm -hmm. that's one of the best 10 tomatoes I've ever eaten. And almost every tomato out of the Green Giant cross is being sold now I think eight or nine of them because they are all spectacular. And they're all either green or yellow or white when they're ripe. So, um you know, it dispels that myth of all yellow tomatoes are mild. And no, it's there are great-flavored tomatoes in every color, and there are some not particularly good tomatoes in every color. You just got to try them. All.
1: <laughs> well, you know, as you said in one of the shows that you did with me earlier in the year, some people have different tastes in tomatoes. I think yours yes. and your taste and mine are very similar um, yep. because we both like very full-flavored, tart tomatoes. Um, And some people like them, you know, I know some people that like Romas, and to me, Romas are completely tasteless.
2: Oh, I'm glad you said that, Daryl, because at one of my talks, I wanted to make an example about dwarf versus determinant, and I said, you know, I'm sure here, if I asked who would love Romas, no one would raise their hand, and a person raised their hand, and I said, (laughs) well, and I said, you know, what's great about going out and talking to gardeners is learning, and this is just one more data point to, to really convince me that our taste buds vary so much, that how we perceive flavors and the various things that we like. And, and that's why I don't I, – gardening is a beautiful pursuit because it is more of an art than a science. There are very few absolutes, and so much of it is – the folklore that you learned, the, your own particular likes and dislikes, techniques that you developed over the years that almost seem to work just for you because you know the secret little ways of doing it. And uh, I would much rather spend my time doing something that has lots of gray areas than doing a checklist and saying, I must do A, B, C, D, E, and I know I'm going to get E. I like to dabble and then be delighted and surprised at what I'm going to wind up with.
1: <laughs> no wonder you ended up being a scientist. Uh-huh. I can absolutely understand that now, huh. uh, be, because you've got you've you've got that that urge to find out things and to always be surprised. And I bet you you get bored if you have to do a p- repetitive task.
2: Um, ask me how many flavors of Ben and Jerry's I've tried, how many different <laughs> types of coffee I roast. Yeah, my, my my life is like a nonstop seeking event where I want to be a little bit surprised with something that happens every single day, and that. That, that and it, it's not that any of this is better or worse. It's just how diverse we are as people, and this is just what makes me tick. And uh, yeah, I, I suspect I drive my wife and some of my friends completely crazy. But you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but it's a good way. to And we wouldn't have dwarf the dwarf tomato project if you weren't interested in things like that. We're going to well, have to take a little <laughs> break right now. But when we come back, I want to talk to you about some more of the best. Tasting, especially tasting tomatoes
0: um, in the Dwarf Tomato Project. We'll be right back after this. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, homegrown with Bonnie plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store.
1: Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web
0: Radio.
1: Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Darrell Pullis, and my guest today is Craig Lahuyer, author of Epic Tomatoes. And today we're talking about the Dwarf Tomato Project. And right before the break, we were talking about different flavors and how people perceive different tomato tastes. And um, I I don't, you know, you mentioned that it's the difference in people's taste buds, and I would assume that that certainly is a large part of it. But isn't it also what people are used to? And I found that having given um, people that have grown up eating store-bought tomatoes their first taste of a real tomato, it seems to be shocking to them.
2: Yeah, this is a fascinating topic as well. And, you know, I think back to my phone call with Jeff McCormick, who who uh, founded Southern Exposure Seed Exchange back in 1991, after I had sent him the tomato that I named Cherokee Purple and he test-grew it he was the first person to list it in a catalog. But I remember him saying, it looks like a bad leg bruise. I'll carry it in my catalog (laughs) because it's quite tasty, but I doubt it will gain wide acceptance. And it just, so you really do need to educate the public. Um, You know, during our 17 years of selling seedlings, we have had to, we, we have been part of changing some of our customers' taste bud perceptions because initially, oh, you know, I can only grow red tomatoes. I, you know, maybe, well, I'll try a pink tomato because I like German Johnson. So we would we would do some gentle arm twisting. You need to try Green Giant. You need to try White Queen. You need to try Lillian's Yellow Heirloom. Well, okay. And occasionally it would be, I'll tell you what, I'll give you this plant and you grow it. And you see, and we have watched as the colorful, delicious heirlooms have increased in demand and sale as the ordinary red, you know, same olds have decreased in sale. So it is possible. Um, You know, one of the interesting uh, theories that I have around the flavor of refrigerated tomatoes, because, you know, that that big controversy on should you ever put your tomatoes in a refrigerator, Uh I think it's nostalgia. And I think that many of us grew up where our parents would be driving and they'd stop at a farm stand and they'd find some really nice tomatoes and our mothers or fathers would come home and they'd stick them in the fridge. And then we'd have our cookout. The tomatoes would come out. And, of course, when you slice them, they've got that weird kind of mushy consistency and they taste a little bit like cooked tomato sauce. But as kids, those were farm-raised tomatoes that you bought on the way home from a fun took to the beach with the parents. And I think we grew to love the experience, and that love then got transferred to the flavor of refrigerated tomatoes. And now people who still like to refrigerate their tomatoes, it may not be the flavor of the tomato, but the nostalgia of the event that um, they're clicking into. And so we have great uh, memories for flavors, and smells, and aromas, and I think sometimes we do seek those things that remind us of, of really fun times of our past.
1: Well, I'm truth. very glad that our fun times included buying tomatoes at a farm stand and eating them right there, standing in the dust and one side side of the road, and, um, it, you know, usually I was barefooted having gotten out of the car, <laughs> and, and having that, that tomato juice dripping down my chin. Um. So I'm There's glad that light. that's my memory instead of instead of something yes. else.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I outgrew uh, my parents. I actually had to then, once we gardened, convince them not to refrigerate the tomatoes, and then later in life they saw the light.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad they did. <laughs> I'm glad they did. Now you mentioned some early tomatoes and some yep. that uh, early dwarfs that, that are, have been developed in Alaska. Where yeah. else in the country and in, in the world are people are Growing there. First off, We're, who else is in the project?
2: Well, you the mentioned ma- Australia. Yeah, the majority of the people are certainly um, growing in either uh, the U.S. or uh, up in Canada, and we have we've had people in Mexico, uh, Germany, uh, Singapore, Hawaii, Australia, New Zealand, uh, England. So. It's been fascinating—the uh, Netherlands, Norway—and uh, being the person who does most of the seed collecting and seed sending, it's it's just remarkable some of the addresses. That, and of course, I have a word document that that has everybody's address in it, and it makes it easier for me to do that estimate. And people come and go. It's you know, research projects like this aren't for everyone. People's people's lives change. You know, they they have family issues or garden disasters. So we don't. But the nice thing is none of us are getting paid for this. We're not doing it for the money. People are coming and going, and it doesn't matter. They can jump in if they want, and they can. And, in fact, i have taken a year off because of the book promotional activities. I mean, I don't really have the time to sort through all the data and do the seed distribution. So we're in a holding pattern this year, and, uh, and I'll uh, jump back into it next year, which is, um, you know, it's just no?
1: Is there a difference in flavor preference? um In the different countries,
2: you know, no, not really. And what we're finding is, it's the nature of the crosses. So I was just—I made a list this morning, getting ready for this call. And these are the, as far as what we're using for the dwarf crossing partners, we're limited by the existing dwarfs. But the past few years, of course, we've had an advantage where um, we've now got our own stable release dwarfs. We can start using as crossing partners. But amongst the indeterminates that we've used are uh, Green Giants, Dump of the World, Cherokee Purple, Cherokee Chocolate, Cherokee Green, Carbon, Black Frontula, uh, Elb, Lucky Cross, Anna Banana Russian. So these are all really interesting, colorful, delicious heirlooms, that, and we're trying to inject that flavor, usually, <laughs> into our dwarfs. And what's surprising is, often, the hybrid doesn't taste very good. And so, you know, you you cross a stump of the world with a dwarf. You get this ordinary-looking red tomato that tastes ordinary. So you can't get fooled by that. The flavors are going to then pop out in the subsequent generations. And the larger a selection of second- and third-generation plants that people can grow, the more chance that they're going to find things. And, you know, if people can only fit two plants, it's fine. Three plants, it's fine. Um... But, we're, again, we're not doing this to be perfect in it. We're doing this to learn about what happens if you cross a, a green with a, a yellow? What are the possibilities? What happens if you cross a pink with a purple? So, again, I guess it's that scientist coming through. I, I love to find the answers. And we're just working in stripes, and we're go, we'll be embarking on cherries and pastes in the future. So we're we're trying to hit all of the different tomato classes with different colors and, and flavors and You know, fill in the gaps. We're trying to make potato leaf dwarfs with as many varieties as we can. Um, Create that laundry list where people, if they like an indeterminate and it's a potato leaf yellow, they can find a dwarf analogy of it that will be a dwarf potato leaf yellow that will taste just as good. And it's um, We're just checking the boxes right now and doing our crosses to try to fulfill. So we're doing some guesswork. We think if we cross X with Y, it will give us this eventually. Um, Sounds fun, doesn't it?
1: It does. It sounds very much fun. I wish I was a little bit younger and I would I would be in there with you. I did not know that about crossing tomatoes because I tried crossing some tomatoes and I, and it was pretty blah. No, most yeah. for the most part. Every now and then I would get a really good one. Um yeah. but but then when I would grow it out again. Yeah. I couldn't get it stabilized. Something would something would happen. We'd have a bad weather here or mice yeah, get yeah. into my seeds, or something like that. Now I keep them lock, under lock yeah, and key, yeah. and usually yeah. in the refrigerator. But now, well, tell me about some Alaskan... of these Alaskan. Yeah. these Alaskan.
2: Sure. Well, our Alaskan growers do greenhouse growing and container growing, and they have short growing seasons. And um, the cross that we sent up to them that they really like working with has Paul Robeson in it. And Paul Robeson is a Russian heirloom that that's relatively short season. And so almost by design, the selection that they were going to look at were things that ripened fairly early. And, uh, you know, the Yukon Quest, Arctic Rose, Sleeping Lady, and Iditarod Red, they found those fairly early. Um, the, I call the flavors of those um, mild, slightly sweet, and just very well-balanced Um they come out, they're very, very heavy-yielding, which is kind of interesting. Um, they almost yield a little heavier than some of the others. Uh, Jade beauty can yield quite well, but it's more of a gradual tomato and a little bit later. Um, so it's kind of got tomatoes for each type of, of right and flavor class. Uh, you know, some of them like, um, I would say, summertime green, rosella purple tastes just about like Cherokee purple in the intensity of flavor. Uh, Mr. Snow is the best flavored white tomato I've ever eaten, and that's a dwarf. And Sweet Sue, which I named after my wife, is a six-ounce yellow that is in my top ten flavored of all tomatoes we've grown. So we're really striking um, gold on some. And with 36 out there now, one of the things I'm dying for is lots of feedback because... Starting to see these appear in the Seed Savers Yearbook, which means they're getting saved and shared. And then, uh, and on Tomatoville, some www.tomatoville.com, where we're managing this project, people are starting to put in, <coughs> sorry, put in their flavor um, preferences. That's what helps me because I don't fully expect all of these are going to be loved by everyone, but it'd be really interesting to know what people are looking for. Um, You know, are they looking for the mild ones, the sweet ones, the tart ones? Is yield more important? And we're not doing any breeding for disease tolerance or resistance right now. So we're also going to find out which one of these grow well in which areas and which are the diseases that hit them in different areas. So I'm in kind of the massive data collection feedback part of this right now to see how much I can learn about these now that they're out there.
1: Well, since I have just about every plant disease, tomato disease in my yard, uh, that's well. I guess well, I guess we don't have verticillium wilt because it's too warm for that. But we, I have pretty much everything else. So if it will survive for me, it will survive for just about anybody. Uh, what I'm looking for myself is a very rich, acidic, full-flavored, um, early-season tomato, so I can get production before we get the blights because, you know, once it starts raining every day in the summer, you can just pretty yeah. well hang it up. Um, yeah. And I'm sure a lot of the people in the Pacific Northwest have told you something like that too because they've got a very short season without yeah. rain, and then when the rains come back, yuck.
2: Well, oh, you know, on. one, of, one, of, one of the most fascinating parts, and we may want to get to this after the next break, is the different types of feedback I'm hearing because I've spoken in Philadelphia, I've spoken in Seattle, and I speak in this area. So I've been, and you know, in Virginia and uh, down in Georgia. And the questions that I'm getting after my workshops and talks are fascinating because they're giving me a snapshot of what what tomato enthusiasts are grappling with. And it's different depending on where you live. Everyone has got problems. It's just we've all got different problems.
1: Yeah. I do want to talk about that. I'd also like to talk to you about, you said there are 36 tomatoes, and we've talked about the, uh, the early ones that have been developed in yep. Alaska. I'd like to talk to you about some of the other best-flavored ones sure. uh, out there, because I always go for that. And I couldn't find seeds for Sweet Sue um, yep. this year, but um, I was talking to Mike at, at Victory Seeds or emailing him, yep. and he said that he's growing out all 36 this year. So he's gonna have He them. is. And, um, and there are actually yeah, there are one, two,
2: three, four, really uh, four which I think will be the leading sources for these going forward before they start spreading company to company. We can talk about that um, when we come back from the break. I'd sure. like to let people know who who are gonna feature these in the near in the near term.
1: Okay. Um, we'll be and we'll be talking right that on America's Homegrown Veggie Show
0: right after this. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My guest today is Craig Lahulier, author of Epic Tomatoes, How to Select and Grow the Best Varieties of All Time. And today we're talking about the Dwarf Tomato Project. And we mentioned some of the early ones that you're growing, and but I want to know what the rest of your favorites are.
2: Sure. So, And by Best the way, you say, LaHou- you say Lahulier better than anyone who's not a Lahulier. so congratulations.
1: <laughs> well, I had to work on it because oh, I had okay. been... I had been mispronouncing it in my brain until the first time we talked actually talked together.
2: Well it's and all great. So
1: it was twenty years of unlearning that I had to do.
2: <laughs> well, I've been called many things that I won't share. And but anyway, um <laughs> so if I were to pick at my out of thirty six varieties, the ones that are on my you know, kind of my desert island, if you Craig, you know, you can only bring five or ten varieties with you. Um, either summer Summertime Green or Dwarf Emerald Giant, which are, in one's potato leaf, one's regular leaf, but they're 8 to 12, up to 16 ounce. They stay green when they're ripe, but they get this a little pink blush on the bottom. But they taste almost as good as Green Giant. They're just, they're a little bit late. They produce well. Um, Rosella Purple, which, like, you know, Cherokee Purple is one of my favorite tomatoes, but Rosella Purple, if you were to put that and Cherokee Purple next to each other on a plate, blindfold and taste them, you may not taste much of a difference. Um, dwarf Mister Snow, which is almost white, and for people who like a tart tomato, um, we brought that to Tomato Palooza one year, and it just—it it was one of the best tomatoes. And this is out of two hundred tomatoes at the tasting. Dwarf Mister Snow is one of the best tasting. Sweet Sioux, for people who like a sweet tomato, one that's almost impossible to pronounce and spell because it was named by one of my friends in New Zealand. Uh, a Fertikai, but it's <clears throat> spelled W-H-E-R-O-K-O-W-H-A-I, is a potato leaf dwarf that has large yellow-red bicolor tomatoes that almost taste like brandy wine. So it is actually well, a yellow-red bicolor that has really wonderful flavor. Another one of my real favorites is orange-juiced orange. It's called Dwarf Blazing Beauty six-to-eight-ounce, smooth, vibrant orange tomatoes that are also very much on the tart side. And the hardest color to get a great dwarf in has been red. And it's, it's an interesting phenomenon that we've noticed with doing our own crossing. It is much easier to stabilize recessive genes than it is to stabilize really good versions of dominant genes. And red, of course, uh Red flesh, yellow skin—the color of Better Boy, the color of celebrity. That's the dominant tomato color, and it took us until Sweet Scarlet Dwarf, which just came out this year. It is a flavor knockout. So, those are the ones I would say are, and and you describe my flavor um, quest really well early on, where I'm looking for a tomato that when I put it in my mouth, my eyes bulge a little bit, my taste buds start jumping around. Um, I know I've got a tomato in my mouth, so um, I'm not a big fan of too sweet, too mild, too bland, too subtle. I want huge, and um, so those are the ones when I when I name these best flavor, they're best flavor to my palate. And of course, people really need to try some of these
1: and see what they think. I'm I'm very excited to try these. I've got quite a few of them on on your list. I, I ordered Summertime Green and Rosella Purple, and. Yeah. Uh, and, and and Cherokee chocolate, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm just I'm just dying to taste these this year, and I'm mm. looking at these plants. And you talk about them being slow growing. Mine, yeah. I planted them a day after I planted the other ones. The other yeah. ones are three inches tall, and my dwarfs are about an inch, but they're no, healthy looking look little guys. Beautiful,
2: vigorous. Yeah, and they're going to be absolutely gorgeous plants right throughout. They they become the stars of the garden. When people come and look at your garden, they'll go. What are those gorgeous plants? Because the foliage yes. is almost blue green on them. They're so um, rich looking.
1: Yeah, I've had people ask me what I'm, what I fertilize them with because yep, they look yep. so good. They're, they're yeah, just yeah. wonderful, wonderful plants. Like I said, I've yeah. grown just a few of them over the last uh-huh. couple of years, and I'm so excited that you've got 36 of them out yeah. now. So I can eat my way through all of the ones <laughs> that you like. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, I I owe it to the incredible hard work and dedication, <clears throat> uh, you know, my friendship with Katrina and all of the people involved because a, a, a nicer, better, more talented group of of gardeners who are who are sharing and dedicated the data that they produce, the, the pictures they send me. It's you know, it, it's just kind of life reaffirming when you realize that there there's just great people out there, and you know, gardeners just happen to be pretty great people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's rare to find a crabby gardener. It really is. Now, you mentioned yep. that um that you're taking a year off from uh-huh. the dwarf tomato project, that in yep. future years will there be room for other people to join in? Well, yeah,
2: and what I'm hoping is once we get back to maybe next uh December January, um we're always looking to refresh people because you know some people get burned out a little bit or they're ready to move on. So I expect uh and the best way to do that would be to send me an email at nctomatoman at com and express their interest or join Tomatoville. And once you're in Tomatoville and are registered, you can get into the Dwarf Tomato Project. So we, you know, most of Tomatoville is viewable without joining, but we've left our breeding project areas where members only, so you don't have, you know, web crawlers going over and extracting all of the data and things like that.
1: So um, That's it. That's yeah, a good we'll thing. Yeah. I love tomatoville except there's so much information on there there are so many yeah. wonderful people talking about my f- absolute favorite subject that it's yeah. hard to get it all read but there are some very and they're very very helpful people over there too
2: yeah and I, I really hats off to Carolyn for you know I've been very very busy the last couple of years and she has an infinite amount of patience to go in and help people especially new growers and answer Some of the real fundamental questions about tomato growing. So, uh, so many, so many people have really uh, chipped in and helped out when I've not had the time to do so. Uh, Michael Volk, um, there's, you know, of course, the owner Mishka. But it's, it is. It's a very. And what's nice about Tomatoville is it really does lock out a lot of the noise, uh, you know, the political wranglings and off-topic subjects that make so many websites devolve into nastiness. We. Tomatoville is not for that. It's for gardeners. And it's for talking about gardening. And uh, we need places like that on the web that are kind of safe havens away from the noise of the world right now.
1: And that's what I do with the CompuServe Garden Forum, too. We yep. filter out yep. the political stuff. We talk. We just talk gardening. We talk a little bit about wildlife because some of us, yep. like some of us gardeners, like to garden for wildlife, too. Yep. But it's it's just the garden. So well, if people recipes, are looking for another you know, place to chat. Yeah, well, yeah. certainly we'll talk about our best tomato recipes. Yes, of uh, course. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> and even some best squash recipes when it gets to be squash season, and and people are just drowning in it. Now, oh, you mentioned—I know. know you've been all over the country this year, yeah. talking to gardeners and talking at flower shows and things like that. Um, what have gardeners been asking you about?
2: Good. So, so the common in. I actually want to get one thing in before I answer that question. But Sure. For people looking for the dwarf varieties, there really are four companies for them to focus on at the moment, and that is Victory Seeds in Oregon, Tatiana's Tomato Base in Canada, Remy's Seed, Sample Seed Shop, and um, Heritage Tomato Seed. So they are the four companies who have shown the most interest in it, and I know I would suspect within the next year or two all of those companies will have – pretty much close to all 36. So more companies, I'm sure, as, if the if and as these become more popular, more companies are going to want to jump on the bandwagon, but those are the ones to start with. Now, as far as, so you talk in the Pacific Northwest, and people want to talk about um, the fact that it's hard to get their tomatoes to ripen because of the climate consistently. So they want to talk about early varieties that have good flavor and late blight. Late blight is a, is a real big problem in the Pacific Northwest. If you talk um, in Virginia, it's stink bugs, and their, their gardens are being absolutely ravaged by attacks of stink bugs. And it's not just what you and I may go through where you see a few on your tomatoes and they'll peck a little hole and suck out the juice and leave a white spot. This is stink bugs landing on all of the surfaces of their garden and decimating plants and uh, a real serious problem there. Um, and if you talk, of course, down in Georgia, North Carolina, we talk about Fusarium wilt and early blight and septoria leaf spot. And, you know, it, I was challenged quite strongly in the Pacific and Northwest. You know, you garden in Raleigh. You've got this long season. Can you really share information? Do you, can you really feel our pain? And I said, well, you know, for all of us around the country, we love our tomatoes, but they're almost like growing roses in that every endemic critter, disease, and weather variation will affect you. So we, we all struggle. We just all struggle in different ways. Um, two other things. Container gardening is becoming huge. Um, a few questions about grafting. And squirrels seem to, something I have never had a problem with, but squirrels seem to be the bane of gardeners everywhere. So... Isn't that fascinating that you get these different little tidbits of what's going on around the country, and it allows me to kind of feel the pain of, um, and and we share. You know, I share what I do, and they share what they do, and we all get smarter, or at least we get more knowledgeable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, where can people find a list of where you're speaking so they can come and see you?
2: Sure. Well, uh, the best place to look is just on the front page of my website, nctomatoman.com, and I have a complete list of my events, uh, the next of which is being uh, in mid-April. I'll be at the Mother Earth News Fair in Asheville, North Carolina. I'll be at the Savers Exchange in July at the Camp Out um, at the Monticello Heritage Harvest Festival in September and in the Mother Earth News Fair up in Seven Springs, Pennsylvania in September. Other than that, I'm going to be pretty local um, to Raleigh and the Triangle. Um, which is going to give me a little bit of a, a breath of relief because I have seedlings to transplant and a garden to plant, and um, you know, this is—I don't mind being busy at this time of year, and being able to mix getting enthusiasm from gardeners and sharing what I'm doing with getting my own hands dirty—it's—it's um, it's just really, really fun for me right now, and I'm, I, I have such a gratification that people seem to. Here and there, be enjoying my book a little bit. And, um, you know, I kind of wrote it for me. Um, and if people oh, you wrote
1: it, it for me, all of us. Well, you wrote it f- for, for yourself. But <laughs> it, is, it is such yeah. a, a nice book. It speaks. Everybody that I know that has taken a look at the book, has read any of it, they are just, they just get immersed in it and they want to know well, more. And then on the next t- page, you tell them more. So that's, that's it, it's a great thing. To
2: say. And I just found out, this is kind of. Breaking news as of yesterday—that story um, said it's going to a second printing, and they are asking me to send any errors and uh, misspellings and things to them within the next few weeks. So I'm not exactly sure what it means, but it's kind of exciting, I guess. And uh, <laughs> if, if anybody is reading Epic Tomatoes and finds little errors here and there, I'm very happy for them to just send me an email with them because I would like uh, 256 pages, 90,000 words. was a lot of words, and even multiple readings by multiple people, things are going to slip through and I'd like to get those all fixed. So that would be uh you know, I'd be I'd be really appreciative if anyone could do that and you know,
1: send okay. any and, and very quick, in the last twenty seconds, yeah. what's your email address?
2: It's N C all one word, N C T O M A T O M A N at Gmail dot com. And uh you can also get to my email through the com website and epictomatoes.com website, and that website is more about activities to do with the book. So I like to share pictures and impressions from life on the road, so to speak. So okay.
1: um, and I'll, put all helping... this... yeah. I'll put all this information on our Facebook page for people so they don't have to write it down. And that's all the time we have for today, but thank you, and we'll be back next week.